Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. So glad you're worshiping with us today at Garfield Memorial Church. I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here. Hey, uh, I had something happen to me that, that you don't sign up for when you go into ministry. My big sister passed away in 1994, and she asked me to preach her funeral as she was uh, dying from cancer. And I, when I got up that day, I said, if tears offend your macho ego, tough. I got news for you. If tears offend your macho ego this morning, this December 20th, or whenever you're watching, as Pastor Scott said, kind of tough because I'm a wreck. When the band sang that song, Behold the Lamb, uh, I remembered back to the first church I served. It was an inner city church in Lorain County. And the kids sang that song. And the young woman who sang the solo for that song died of AIDS in early 2000. And it's almost as though I heard her singing again today because that's Emmanuel. That's God with us. God jumped into this story. God came into all of the brokenness, all of, all of this world that God had created. And God said, I want to be with them and came in Jesus to us. And so we've been preaching on that. Emmanuel, God with us. And, and you know, anybody that's even a novice of Christmas would say, of course, Christmas means God is with us. But I want to push this harder today. Pastor Terry talked about God with us in our surrender, looking at Abraham and Sarah and surrendering their position, their power, their privilege to just go without knowing. Last week, Scott talked about God with us in our suffering. And today, I want to talk about God with us, with his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, -E -E, not presence like we put under the tree, but God's presence being with us. See, I think we think about, okay, God is with us, but we don't think God is with us. It's a crazy statement we make through the uh, thousands of years in the church that God was fully human and fully divine. Jesus came in the flesh, fully human, fully divine. There's a Greek word, don't memorize this one. It's called homeostasis. Uh, the, but the church was able to say that, that he was fully human, son of man, and fully divine, son of God. I think we remember the divinity of Jesus, but sometimes we forget the humanity of Jesus. So listen to how the writer of Hebrews in the second chapter talks about this. It said, it is not to the angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is humankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. 
You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, right? Yet at present, we don't see the world functioning the way it ought to. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them, that's us, brothers and sisters. And again, Jesus says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Now who's Abraham's descendants? That's us. And let's look at this verse 17. I think this is the Christmas verse. For this reason... He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. This is Emmanuel, God with us, made human in every way, right? And what does Christmas teach us when we understand that God is with us like this? Three things I want to say today. The first one is that God has a concern for the physical. Do you know so many times we talk about uh, the spiritual life and the physical life as though they're two different things. But when Jesus comes in the flesh, understand this, God came in flesh and blood, incarnation. Do you know what that means? Incarne. The word carne in Espanol means meat. He came in matter. He came in flesh and blood. It says that God cares about the physical. I remember I had a, a young girl here at Garfield, I think she was like 10, came up to me, her, her uh, cocker spaniel had passed away, and she said, Pastor Chip, do dogs get into heaven? And I have a yellow lab, she's on the verge of 12 right now, and I said, look, my yellow lab never gossips, she never speaks bad, she doesn't get into political debates, she's always glad to see you, if she doesn't get into heaven, I don't have a chance, Right? And this is what it means, that when God came in the flesh, it says he came in matter, meaning if it matters to you, it matters to God. 
God is not divorced from the physical. When he says, whatever you bind on earth, you bind in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, you loose in heaven. God wanted integrity between the physical world and the spiritual world. God created all there is. And God came into this world because it matters. It matters to you. It matters to God. Three ways we see God caring about the physical. First, in creation. You know, no other religion says what we say, and I don't mean that makes it better or whatever. It's just a different understanding. Buddhism and Confucianism, the, or the Eastern religions, say that we're to transcend matter, right? Islam, matter is fallen. God couldn't get involved in matter. That's why the angel Gabriel had to bring the Quran to Muhammad in written form from the heavens because God wouldn't even get involved with writing his word in flesh and blood. In Judaism, the name of God, Yahweh, was so sacred you couldn't even speak it. And we would say, El Adonai, just the Lord. But in our interpretation, God didn't just speak into creation. Of course he did that. He's bigger than the world. And said, let there be light. But God reached into the dust to create us in God's own image. That's the only religion that says that, that God reached into the dust. I, I preached that years ago. I was a chaplain of the week up at Lakeside, Ohio. It's a little Christian retreat center that you go there. And if you're chaplain of the week, you have to preach every morning, um, you know, Sunday and then through the week. And families come for morning devotions as, a, as they set aside time. And there was a family that came as a little eight-year-old that came every day. I mean, he was there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Thursday, Friday, skip Thursday, Friday. He was there all week. And by Friday, I had to get down on my knees and said to this young, young boy who had to put up with me preaching every day. I said, what do you remember about everything I've said? And he looked at me, he said, Pastor Chip, I remember God gets his hands dirty. Because God reaches in to the dirt. That, that young boy, that was 17 years ago. He's probably 25 years old. I hope he remembers. And I hope you'll remember that God gets his hands dirty. And if God gets his hands dirty, if God reaches in to the poverty and the racism and the injustice and the violence of this world, brothers and sisters, so should we. That's what Christmas means. That God cares about the physical. He gets his hands dirty. And so should we. And in the incarnation, God cared about the physical so much to enter into a woman's womb and to come to us as an infant. And then in the resurrection, what happens? Jesus is raised from the dead. And the disciples, if you read the eyewitnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they think he's a ghost. And he says to them, hey, what are you eating? They were eating fish. He said, give me a piece of fish. And he ate it as a way of saying, hey, guys, do ghosts do that? And he showed them his wounds. God cares about the physical. That's what Christmas says. And so, my friends, should you and I. We should work in this world. William Temple said, if you think about Christmas this way, that it's Christianity is actually the most materialistic religion in the world. And it doesn't mean materialism like consumerism. It means God cares for us, so much that he enters into our condition. Okay, so God has a concern for the physical. Number two, God has a knowledge of the sorrowful. 
Did you hear what it said? It said because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those of us who are being tempted. I had a friend when I lived in Mansfield, Ohio. I was a district superintendent overseeing like 80 churches. And I had a buddy. He, he wasn't involved with the church. He was out of the church. He was a radiologist uh, down there in uh, Mansfield. He was an ex-Marine. He was kind of gruff. Uh, right? I mean, he wasn't the Scrooge, but he was, he was one of those tough guys. I mean, listen to Rush Limbaugh every day. That'll make you gruff, right? I mean, he was just kind of one of those brusque guys and uh, was a little short with people, but he was my bud. We played golf together. We worked out together. And uh, one day he had an injury. He had a bad injury. And he was in the hospital for many weeks. And I went to visit him and his whole disposition seemed to have changed. He was being nice. He actually said nice things to me when I came in the room. That was unusual. And he was being nice to the nurses. And when he got out of the hospital, we went and golfed together. And I said to him, what happened to you? He said, I got on the table. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, as a physician, I had a lot of people on the table. And I was a physician. But at that moment, for those weeks, he said, Chip, I was on the table. I was the patient, and I said to myself, I will never be short with people again. I will never be impatient because God put me on the table. Do you understand something? In Christmas, in Jesus Christ, God put himself on the table. Jesus has been on the table. The Bible says tempted and tested in every way that we are, yet without sin. He has been tried. He understands this. Listen what Hebrews 5 says, verse 7. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and and petitions, watch this, with fervent cries and tears. You saw me teared up at the beginning, right? Nothing like this. Fervent cries. That word fervent in the Greek means screaming. Jesus didn't just have a tear in the corner of his eye. He knew what it was like. He's experienced everything we've experienced. You know, when we see him weeping over Jerusalem, weeping at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, he understands. That's why the slaves in the American South could sing that spiritual. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody but Jesus. Isaiah says at the Christmas message, that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. I've had counselors in my life. Maybe you have too. When you need a counselor, when you need uh, somebody to guide you, what do you need? Two things. One, you need someone who understands what you're going through. And the Bible says Jesus does that. And the second thing is you want somebody that understands it, that's gone through it, and has overcome it. And Jesus has done that. He has a knowledge of the sorrowful. He understands. And you may say to me right now, well, Chip, yeah, but I go to God and I pray for things and God doesn't answer my prayers. Jesus understands that too. He went in Gethsemane and said, Father, if this cup could pass, there is not a condition, not a situation that you and I will ever walk through that Jesus hasn't been there first. He has a knowledge of the sorrowful. He has a knowledge of of what we've gone through. 
That's why the old song said, you know, have you trial and tribulation? Is there trouble everywhere? Jesus knows your every burden. Take it to him in prayer. He has, he has come into our condition as one of us. So it says that God cares for the physical. He has a knowledge of the sorrowful. And the last thing is he seeks a relationship. See, for God to come in the flesh shows how persistent God is to be in relationship with us. If God was just a king wanting subjects, right, for all of us to fall on our faces to be obedient to God, then God didn't have to come in the flesh, right? God could have done what he did in the Old Testament. Everybody was afraid of God in the Old Testament. Have you ever seen Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? They, they had to keep their eyes closed because to look at God meant you would die. God was too holy. In fact, when God spoke to the people on Mount Sinai, God said, don't even touch the mountain or you'll die. If he just wanted us to tremble on the ground to be subjects, God is king. Why not do the special effects? Why not the voice from the darkness? Why not the lightning? Why come in a baby? Why come as an infant? Is there anything more accessible than an infant, right? All of us have hold children. They're so delicate. They're, they're, they're so gentle. And God said, I want to come that way. Why? Because I want to cuddle with you. I want to be in relationship with you. I, I want to be accessible to you. Where else but the manger in Bethlehem could shepherds, the low ring of society, and kings, the magi, both kneel together? God comes in this way seeking relationship. In Psalm 63, the psalmist said this, My soul faints, my body desires, I thirst for you, God. He's saying, I don't need God as a hypothesis. I don't need God as an idea. I need the presence of God in the same way that my body needs water. This is what God comes to do, to be in relationship with us, friends, right? Christmas answers that yearning and that longing that we have in Psalm 63. As a deer pants for living water, so my heart pants for God. God responds to that in Christmas. He comes into the world to be in relationship. That's why it says in that passage, he's not ashamed to call you and I brother and sister. In fact, in John, when Jesus, at the last night of his life, says, I don't even want to call you servants anymore. I want to call you friend. He's desiring relationship, friendship with us. That's what Christmas says. That's what Emmanuel says. That's what God with us says. And, and I want you to think about that this year, that God is cares about the physical, that he has a knowledge of the sorrowful, and that he desires relationship. When God put his hands into the dirt, do you know that that means God in Jesus Christ at Christmas is putting his hands in all of your business? He's putting his hands in everything that matters to you because it matters to him. I thought about that, and I heard a story that Pastor Terry shared with me. It was about a man named Frank, not his real name. He lived in Denver, and his son was homeless, a heroin addict, and his dad, Frank, worried he was dying. 
So Frank decided to go find his son by becoming homeless himself. He went to a man named Connor, who in Denver, uh, you know, reestablishes connections with lost children. And he said he'd never seen anybody like Frank. Frank connected with a pastor named Jerry, who had an outreach program in Denver to reach out to homeless people, serve them lunch. And Frank would sleep in the park and go to this homeless luncheon, hoping he would find his son. And one day his son showed up. And here's what Frank wrote. He said, my son has no idea that it's me who's walking to him. I can see that he can't stand up without support of a building. He would appear drunk to most people, but to me, his dad, I know from past experience, sadly, he's on heroin. He's heavy. I go up to him, and he starts to turn his back on me. I don't even care. I just grab him and squeeze him as hard as I can. And here's what Connor writes. He said, for a week, this dad, Frank, became his son's shadow, wandering the streets during the day, sleeping on the banks of a river at night. He grew a beard. He ate handout sandwiches during the day, and he swatted away the rats at night. Meanwhile, his son got sick, in and out of the hospital, stealing to buy more drugs. At one point, Frank said this to his son, if you die... Your mom and dad die with you. We might still be here breathing, but make no mistake, we'll be dead inside. When I asked Frank, this is Connor, the the counselor talking. When I asked Frank, why did you do this? Why did you become homeless? Why did you enter this situation? Here's what he said. The only thing I could think of was just to go there. Just to be with him. Just to love him, to show him how deeply he was loved. Now, that's an earthly father, but I want you to find the paradigm for a heavenly father who sat in heavens with his only son, Jesus. And Jesus said, you know what? I love them so much. I just want to go there. I just want to be with them. I just want to show them what it means to them that they are loved. That's Emmanuel. God with us in carne, in the flesh. Emmanuel, please hear this. That's how your heavenly father was willing to become homeless, to be despised, to be rejected, even to be put up to death, just so you and I would know how deeply we are loved. That's Christmas. God so loved that God gave. Okay, I'm going to wrap that up. I hope you'll join us on Christmas Eve. I will dig deeper in this wonderful message. I don't know how you can dig much deeper than that, but we'll, we'll, we'll go further to hear the Christmas story. Join us uh, online, 5.30 or 7 o'clock. 8.30 Heritage. Uh, join us on December 23rd for a quiet Christmas. If Christmas is hard for you right now, we as pastors want to be with you and pray for you. Join us in our parking lot at uh, 7 o'clock and 8.30 um, where we'll, in the safety of our cars, uh, see one another and lift up the, the light of Christmas. But do this. Think about if you're able to give 
to our Light Up the City Christmas offering. You heard Pastor Scott earlier. This is going to change lives. And we need you to help us this year to do that. So here's your church at homework this week, okay? We've been saying church at home, church at homework. I actually want you to talk about something you don't normally talk about. Talk about giving. Talk about if you have children or family, say, hey, I'm going to give this year to the work of God at Christmas, right? Because I have a friend that wrote a book that said, Christmas is not your birthday, right? It's not our birthday. And instead of just buying presents for everybody else, I want to give to the work of God. So I'm going to give to the work of God through my church to widen the circle. And I want, to talk, I want you to talk to your family about that so they know. Why are we doing this? Why are you generous? Maybe that will trigger generosity. Maybe it will trigger the spirit of why Jesus came to be with us. For God so loved that God gave. So let's talk about this. And let's take a minute to listen to some people share why they give, why they are generous. Merry Christmas. So why we give to Garfield specifically? <laughs> giving what it means to us well it's good to give it's good to give back to people and and uh the church is one way to give back to the to the community and and to the ministry and do all the good work that garfield does there's a lot of things that make you feel good you can do different things but when you're giving and you want to give to people who are in need and then also giving to our church here at Garfield Memorial, and they're taking care of other things that we can't take care of and helping people around the world and seeing all the great things that uh, this church has done empowers me to do even more and want to give more. And the more I give, the better I feel, and it's absolutely the best feeling in the world. Giving to my church financially has been a great joy, and you know, I, I, I feel God's happiness when I do that. Just encourage everybody to give to Garfield at Christmas time so they can enjoy that that joy as well. Giving has uh, meant a lot to me, and it's been a, a, a bit of a journey. Um, and uh, you know, the thing I, I think about a lot is that you know God commanded us to be cheerful givers. And giving is really important to me because it feels good. That's the short answer. Because we believe in their vision to widen the circle, to reach all who have an open mind to Christ and who have a heart that wants to grow. Garfield's been really good to us. We've raised our family here. I grew up in this church. We were married in this church, and it, it feels good to give back. I used to have a little acronym for me, to give is to live. But then I also looked that over as a flip of the script and I realized not just give to live, but live to give. And when we reversed that and started giving from our heart, then, then we felt more Jesus in part of the things that we did. Well, the good news of Christmas is really best uh, shown by living it all year long. And when you donate to Garfield, uh, it makes those opportunities possible that people can receive the message of Christmas and know that uh, it's done from commitment all year long. And, uh, and I think about that during this COVID period where there are so many needs out there. 
in that um, in that that the food that's in God's house it's not used to build the house but it is used to go out there and widen the circle the long answer is I've had a great life I got four great kids had a great wife and everything I have was given to me by the grace of God so why not give back that's my short answer and the long answer both I went to the Bible to see is there a passage in Bible that reflects 2020 to us and I came across the story of Naomi because in a short span of time she lost her husband her two sons and financially she was bankrupt because of a famine and that's what 2020 has done to so many but the reason why I love that story in the book of Ruth is not just about Naomi but a kinsman or a relative of hers Boaz stepped in at the same time Boaz was blessed he had abundance and he generously gave to Naomi and i guess the question god is asking me and the other boazes in our church is will you allow me to use you to bless all the naomis in our church and it's not so that we can say look i gave but rather the response of naomi is what i want the response in those that have suffered this year to say you know what i am blessed god has nourished me god has rejuvenated me so that's what giving to me this year is all about